Hello. What? It's a whole new season of the Biopod. We have some really fun stuff in store for you this time. This is the second season of the Biopod and we'll be having a lot more analogy and likeness-based fun biology discussions. But before we go any further, I must insist that you take a little time and listen to our previous episodes. They're all around 5 to 7 minutes long, so it shouldn't take too long, and I hope you have fun listening to them. But if for some reason you don't have that time to spare, uh don't worry. We have these quick what hit what you've missed segments where we basically be explaining concepts from season 1 you would need in order for that particular episode. Now, in season 1 we mostly dealt with basic molecular level biology. Stuff like central dogma, transcription, translation stuff. Again, this might seem like foreign words to a lot of you. I can't stress this enough. Don't worry about it. We we'll, we like to keep things chill in this little discussion. Anyway, to those who have heard it, as cool as season 1 was, what we're planning for this season just might take the cake. We are going to solve crimes together. That's right. We're going to be walking around in this new imaginary world like Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Oh, and what's that? Scotland Yard is here with a case? A murder? That's interesting. A man was found dead. He was clobbered in the head. Who could have done it? Fortunately, the police showed us that there were only five people in the scene of the crime. So we have a list of possibilities. Now, if we were as good a detective as Sherlock Holmes, we would perhaps just need a single glance or a quick interview to find out who did the crime. But unfortunately, we are limited to this auditory medium. That is to say, you can only listen to what's going on in the crime scene. So let me try and describe the crime scene to you and see what we can uncover. Hmm. The victim was wearing a rather stylish jacket. Hmm. There's a slight stain on his sleeve and on his collar. <gasps> What's that on his shoulder? A single hair? But our victim's bald. <gasps> you know what that means? That was probably the hair of the killer. Oh no. It looks like the five suspects have the hair of the same color. Ah. Now how are we possibly going to find out who the killer was? <laughs> Don't you worry. We have in our hands a little interesting technique called the restriction fragment length polymorphism or the RFLP. I know, complicated name. But let's stick to RFLP for future reference. Now, before we go any further into this, a quick recap as promised. You guys probably remember that we mentioned the DNA, right? Well, even if you don't, you probably know of such a molecule. It's a long molecule that essentially acts as an instruction manual for our body. Well, this DNA is present inside every single cell in our body, including our skin and hair. Now, that's convenient, right? We mentioned that the DNA is a small molecule made of these four subunits A, T, G and C. they're all arranged differently in different organisms yeah i mean obviously every organism has a slightly different design so you wouldn't expect them to have the same instruction manual uh you've probably been to ikea you wouldn't expect the instruction manual to assemble a table to be the same as that of a chair so the instruction manual for the two different bodies would definitely have to be different but we still have a problem the instruction manual for a human being is the same to the range of 99.9%. So if you look to the person to the left, then take a look to the person to the right and take a look 
ahead of you or behind you or below you depending on where you're sitting at the moment you are 99.9 percent similar to this person you're looking at crazy right you want to know something a little crazier 96 percent of the human dna is exactly the same as that of chimpanzees <laughs> in fact we will be using this particular concept when we try to understand evolution in our later episodes anyway if the DNA of every person is so similar, how could we possibly read such a large molecule for the smallest of variations? The DNA is made of over 3 billion subunits. Doing quick math, that's around 3 million subunits that are different. I might be wrong, but it was quick math. So, in order to find out the differences in the DNA of two different people, we would have to focus on these particular points, these points of differences, right? But it's still so, so small. How could you possibly find such, a uh, find such a large molecule? It would be like searching for a tiny needle in a haystack that's as big as a mountain. Fortunately, we do have a solution. Now let's picture the DNA molecule as a long, long word. Now, let's say you put this word onto a computer and I have a program that cuts the word every time it detects the letter M. So, it basically cuts the word at multiple points, creating small, small fragments, right? Now, what if I upload va variations of the same initial word, like, let's say, there's a slight variation of, in this case, 0.1%. You would expect the M's to be in slightly different spots in every single time. And if, it, if the M's are in different spots, that would mean the fragments are of different length, right? <laughs> I realize that this analogy might have confused some of you more than necessary. So let me try to explain it uh, in, with the actual biology of it. We have 3 billion DNA subunits. They are all arranged almost the same for everyone. Almost being the keyword here. There is a 0.1% of the DNA that's different from that of the others. And we are going to focus on this. And that is still in the range of millions. I mean, if you had time, you could sit and count the 3 billion units, but that would take a few years and quite frankly, I just don't have the time. So what would be the next obvious solution? Well, we're going to have to use a little cheat code, a little search and cut tool like we would have seen on computers. Now, this cheat code is a little something called a restriction enzyme. We discussed in season 1 that enzymes are basically these proteins that are designed to do some specific function. Now, what the function of this particular protein is, is extremely awesome. So, instead of actually sitting and reading every single sequence, it goes and attaches itself to a very specific sequence on the DNA. Now, since it's a chemical reaction, all the protein is really doing is going and sitting in a spot that feels most comfortable. It's not actually sitting and reading every single uh, alphabet on the DNA, no. It searches for a spot, ooh, this spot seems nice and goes and sits there. So, now, fortunately for us, this spot happens to be the very spot that we wanted to find on the DNA. Now, it searches for the spot, sits on it, cuts that spot, and then moves on searching for a different spot of the same type and cuts it in that spot. So, now, with all the variation in DNA, these cuts could, be, could appear pretty random and rather arbitrary in nature. So, cutting would be unique for every single organism simply because of that 0.1% difference that's there in them. Fascinating, right? So, if you take a look back at our case, it seems that there would be enough to solve the crime now, right? 
just compare the DNA cutting pattern of the uh, suspects with that of the hair we found in the crime scene. And voila, we have the answer to who killed our victim. Again, it only seems simple. There's a small hitch to this plan. What could we be missing? Is there any reason it wouldn't work? Is there anything we've missed? <laughs> There's definitely a small hitch in this plan. And I leave it open to you, my listeners, to guess what it is. Take a shot. You might get it right. Send us, our, send us your answers to our Instagram handle at thebiopod20. If you get it right, we'll give you a shout out on our next episode. Until then, cheers. Here's to hoping this kindles your love for the science of life. Thank you.